You know, there are so many things that we try to achieve in life, but there's one thing that we all want from that achievement, which is this sweetness, this joy, this happiness. And in today's episode, we're going to be looking at how do we taste and drink the sweet juice of life. We're back with the 13th episode of Anand Sahib. And Guruji begins by saying, God's people, silent yogis and servants search for the divine nectar. This nectar is obtained from the Guru. Nectar is obtained when the Guru bestows grace and permanence embeds in the mind. Lives and beings, you create them all. Only some see and come to embrace. Craving, hoarding and identifying is lifted when the true Guru is pleased. Says Nanak, whoever it is pleased by obtains nectar from the Guru. So this verse is all about how people in their life are searching for something. And they're searching for a way to make their life last longer, to make the experience of themselves never end. And this word is called Amrit, this immortality. If we break the word up, the word Amrit means Mrit, which is death, Amrit, which is beyond death. So immortality, this immortal, timeless experience. And mythologies all around the world are filled with stories of brave warriors and heroes going to look for a drink, this special drink that allows them to live forever. And we have stories from various myths around the world. In Persian myth, it was called the Ab e Hayat, the drink of immortality. In Greek mythology, we have this word ambrosia, and they all mean the same thing. In Indian mythology, it's called Amrit. And what it alludes to is that throughout mankind's history, there's been this yearning, this desire for life to continue. There's something so precious about your attachment to yourself that you don't want it to end. No one really wants their life to stop. And so the story of life is something that we're so attached to that even when we know that life is coming to an end, even when we know that we all eventually have to die, we have stories that we've created about the afterlife. So we create imaginations that our physical body or some in some way that our story is going to continue. And this is where we talk about meeting our relatives in heaven and living forever in the kingdom of, of paradise. So we have this idea that is so entrenched into the human psyche that the Guru is basically playing on this. And the Guru is talking about how you are so drugged and so intoxicated with your own sense of self that you can't see that this is what it is that you want to continue. You're drunk on yourself. And the Guru is saying there is an immortality available to you. If that's something that you want, it's available. But it's available only through the Guru. So the opening lines, Sornar Munajan Amrit Khojde. The angels, the gods, the greatest meditative beings on earth, they've all been searching for this immortality. But this immortality is available through the Guru. So Amrit Gurte Paya. Now it's really important for us to understand 
that the Amrit being talked about in Guru Granth Sahib, in Gurbani, is not talking about the Sikh initiation ceremony, which has also more recently been given the name Amrit. So the Sikh initiation ceremony was always called the Khande Dipal, the initiation or the baptism by sword. And whenever Gurbani talks about Amrit, it's not talking about that Amrit. It's not talking about the Amritari, the one who has been initiated into the tradition of the Khalsa. And how do we know this? We know this by looking further into Gurbani. There are verses by Guru Nanak Dev Ji where he says, Manare, Thir Raho, Mat Kat Jahi Jiyo. Oh my mind, remain steady and do not wander away. Bahar Dundat, Bahut Dukh Paavhe, Kar Amrit Kat Mahi Jiyo. By searching around on the outside, you shall only suffer great pain. The immortal nectar is found within the home of your own being. So Guru Nanak Dev Ji is making it very clear that whenever he talks about Amrit, he's talking about an experience that is available to you. Don't look outside. If you look for it outside, if you think that you're going to get it by doing some action on the outside, he says, you are going to suffer in pain. You're going to be mistaken, deluded, wasting your time by looking elsewhere. What you are really looking for and what all human beings have craved for, for throughout mankind's history is already there within you. Now, how do we find this? The Guru is saying time and time again, nothing that you physically ingest is going to give you this Amrit. Nothing that you get from the outside is going to show you what is already sitting within the inside. So there is only one thing that can actually show you where to go and what to look for, and that's the Guru's wisdom. The Guru has a teaching, and that teaching is Nam. When you understand the Guru's wisdom of Nam, then you begin to realize that what I was searching for and what all humans have been searching for is already sitting within you. So when we make this clarification that the Guru is never in Gurbani talking about an external Amrit, then the obvious question that comes up is, well, what's the point of the external Amrit? Why is it even called Amrit? Why are we so focused on becoming initiated into the Guru's tradition? Now, the Guru and all Gurus have always had an initiation. They've always had a ceremony that you have to undergo to show that you are worthy of this teaching, of learning, if you are serious about following the Guru's teaching. So the Amrit that the Guru talks about, which is the external ceremony, is really not a guarantee to find the internal. There is no way that anyone can tell you that by taking an external thing that you are guaranteed to experience the internal nectar that the Guru is talking about in Gurbani. So what's the purpose of the external ceremony? The only purpose of it is for you to show your commitment to find that internal Amrit. What you are doing is you're saying, I'm now so serious about finding this internal immortal experience that I am willing to be initiated into a tradition that means that this becomes my priority. Finding the internal Amrit 
is a commitment that you make by taking the external umrah. And it's really important to understand that it's not a guarantee, but it's a commitment. It's you signing up to learning and committing your life to discovering this immortal experience that is available for everyone. Again, something that needs to be clarified, it isn't only available to those people who have committed themselves. Because the Guru is saying, as we go on through this, that this is not something that you're going to be able to achieve. This is something that the Guru has to give you. We need to understand what this Amrit is. What is the internal Amrit? We've talked a little bit about the external. But what is this internal immortality? It sounds like something out of a fairy tale. It doesn't sound like it's real. When I talk to my kids about what Amrit is, I talk about Amrit like a juice, a really sweet juice. This is something that they're always craving whenever they have a meal. They say, Mommy, Daddy, can I have juice? Can I have something sweet to drink with my meal? And so they always have this craving for something sweet. And what I'm trying to explain to them when I talk about the Guru's teaching of Amrit is that you already have something so sweet within you. There's a sweetness, I can almost call it the juice of the soul. There is something that is so pleasant, so beautiful of an experience within yourself. And this is tied in to the whole theme of Anand The word Anand means bliss. So this is almost the flavor of bliss, this supreme bliss, which the whole of Anand is trying to show us. And we know that really all human beings believe that life can be blissful. All human beings are searching for something in their life that will give them this bliss. They're searching for something which means they don't have to look anymore. Everyone is looking for a way to find something which makes them so satisfied that it stops the constant rat race of trying to find something more. The only unfortunate thing is every human being wants it but nobody knows how to find it. And the mistake that we make is that our mind is always trained to look outwards, always to look at the world, to try and think what is outside in the world that can give me that constant fulfillment. And the Guru is saying, it isn't outside, it's already within you, but you need the Guru's wisdom to show you how to bring that out. The next line the Guru says, Paya Amrit Gur Kripa Kini this nectar is obtained when the Guru bestows grace and permanence embeds within the mind. There's a really important word here, which is satcha. When this permanence starts to make sense to you, when you begin to understand that your whole life you have only identified with every part of you that is temporary and your mind has assumed this temporary body to be its identity. The mind has assumed that whatever I can see in the world must be something that is so important because it feels so real. I can touch it, I can smell it, I can taste it. And the Guru has always clarified that nothing that has been created and can be destroyed is the truth. So whenever spiritual traditions talk about truth, they're talking about something that is eternal. And when we think about it, there's almost nothing that is eternal. Even the universe that 
that we can see around us, the scientists are telling us that that's been created. We can now do experiments and calculations to figure out how old the universe is. When did the Big Bang start? So even the whole universe and every cell and every atom has a creation and at some point may be destroyed. So the Guru is saying, that's not where you're going to find it. There is something behind that. There is something even more eternal than that. And so we need to understand a little bit more about why our mind is so focused on temporary things. And it's because as well as the external world feeling real, the mind also starts to believe the thoughts that fire in our heads. And we talked about this in one of the earlier sessions where we are so convinced that we are the creator of our thoughts and we went and did an experiment where I showed you that you don't know even what your next thought is. But when it happens, you attach yourself to it and you say, oh, this must be my thought because I can hear it in my head and nobody else can hear my thoughts. So they must belong to me. I must be the creator of these thoughts. And the Guru is the enlightener. The Guru is the one that is showing us how to now think in a different way. And the Guru teaches us don't identify with any of these things because they're all temporary. Identify with life itself. Identify with that spirit of life that is everlasting. The Guru is constantly teaching you this one message. The message of the Guru is called Shabad. The message of the Guru is that if you constantly understand and get this Shabad, get this understanding to sink within yourself, that starts to bring out the Amrit, the sweetness, the nectar that's already within you. So Guru's Shabad is now linked with Amrit. If you understand the Guru's word, if you understand what it's trying to do, if you now start to have the transformation that the Guru's word is capable of doing to you, then that transformation molds you from unhappiness into bliss. It molds you from temporary to permanence. So the Guru's word is trying to do one thing only, is to make you identify with your permanent identity. And this is this word such. And we start seeing a lot of concepts that are now overlapping. And there are words that have been used so far in, in the Anand Sahib, words like such, permanence, Amrit, this nectar, Nam, the awakened state, Hukam, the flow of life, all of these start to merge. And they're really all just different words, which are different angles to the same thing, different perceptions, different ways of looking at that same one ultimate reality. So the Guru wants to awaken you, wants you to be in this awakened state, wants you to experience the spirit of the universe that is already within you. And the Guru wants you to know you can experience this and this is your only identity. That's your absolute truth. That's nothing else about you is actually true. As you start to understand the Guru's message, the individual self that you've always understood to be you, this me, this my body, my roles, my relationships, my families, my duties, this starts to disappear. Your individual sense of self starts to now dissolve and you no longer identify with anything that is bound by time or space. 
this is a concept that your mind just won't be able to understand. And this is why the Guru has said, this is not for your mind. This is deeper than your mind. This is not something that the Guru has to say and your mind has to believe. This is something that you have to know through your own experience of yourself. And the, the search now becomes something for, which is within you. You start to now realize that my whole life I've looked outwards and I've never really understood what am I? What is this truth that I'm a part of? What is this eternity that exists within me? What is the eternal part of me that is created my body, that has created my mind, that has created the world that I can see around me? And I've just attached myself to that rather than going back to the original source. So the Guru is teaching us how to kill our associations with everything that is temporary. Let me repeat that. The Guru wants you to learn how to kill your associations with everything that is temporary. That is your body, your association with your thoughts, association with your own memories, with your opinions, with your attachments. The Guru is saying there is a new way of understanding who you are. When we talk about this, the concern that comes into our mind is, wait a minute, do I no longer have memories? Do I no longer have opinions or thoughts? That's not what we're saying. Your mind continues to function. The body continues to exist. Everything is going to be there. You don't need to worry. The only thing that has started to lift is you begin to realize that you're not the driver of these things. You're not the owner of these things. The Guru is saying, this is possible, but it isn't something that you can do. It's something that the Guru has to give you. It's kripa, it's grace. It's not something through your own effort that you can achieve. And time and time again, when we hear this, we can't help but feel disheartened and think, well, why are you teaching me all this? Why do I need to know any of this if I have nothing to do with it? And this is the Guru's method. This is the Guru's process of saying, the very fact that, that the Guru is teaching this to you, the very fact that this wisdom is entering into your ears and going into your mind, that is the process. That's the process of you starting to disassociate from the temporary. You're not doing anything. You just have to sit back and listen. You just have to absorb, take it all in. The Guru's wisdom is, is here to kind of wash away all of your temporary associations, all the incorrect ways of thinking. The Guru is saying, sit back and I shall bathe you and clean all of the misconceptions that you've had in your mind. So there is value in the Guru teaching you all of this stuff because otherwise, if left to your own devices, your mind is going to do what it's always done. It's always looked outside for pleasure. It's always completely ignored the experience of the self and just tried to function in a world that encourages you to constantly just seek sensory pleasures. And the Guru is saying, just sit back and let me do my work. You know, sometimes when you go to the car wash, I take my kids along with me and we just sit there and it's so much fun to watch that either when we do it through the machine or there's someone doing uh, 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 the actual wash itself and they cover the whole car with this soap and all of a sudden the kids get really excited because they feel completely trapped within the car itself and there's a little bit of excitement and then you see the guy coming and washing and, and scrubbing away. And so the Guru is doing exactly the same thing. It's like 
park your car, stay here, and allow me to do it in, in, the, in the way that I need to do it, in the steps that I need to do it. When the guys come to clean the car, first they put the water, then they put the soap, then they're scrubbing it all off, and then they're washing away. And so there are steps involved, and the kids get excited watching all those steps. They don't sit back and say, why is he doing this? There's no point in doing all this. They trust in the process. And so you have to trust the guru in the process of allowing guru to just carry on giving his grace, giving his teaching to you, and that teaching is slowly, slowly going to start changing your perception. That is going to start changing your idea of, I am me, I am this body, and you will start to move into a more permanent way of understanding yourself. So you need to take a step back from this, because remember, if there's any part of you that takes ownership for your own enlightenment, then you continue to remain. And that's so important. The Guru is constantly telling you, nope, this is nothing to do with you. Don't believe for a second that you are the one that is going to create your own enlightenment. You are not going to awaken yourself. You, from your asleep state, can't make yourself awake. Something has to awaken you. We know this even when we're asleep. In the, in the middle of the deepest sleep, how are you going to bring yourself to, to become awake? How are you going to do it? You can't. This is why we set an alarm. This is why we tell other people, wake me up. This is why we close the curtains, because we don't want the sunlight to wake us up. We need something on the outside to awaken us from the inside. So the Guru is saying, sit back and let me do my work. In the next line, the Guru says, Ji jant sab tud upai ik vek parsan aya. Lives and beings, you created them all. Only some see and come to embrace. Guru is talking about how the universe creates absolutely everything. But how rare in this vastness of creation, how rare is that one person who actually is able to understand and acknowledge the greatness of the universe, to acknowledge what exactly is going on here. How rare is that person who meets the Guru and knocks at the Guru's door and says, I'm ready, I'm ready to learn. Think about it. Think about over 7 billion people on this planet alive right now. How many of them are contemplating the nature of their own being? How many of them are sitting back and beginning to analyze their own lives and think, what am I doing with myself? What is my reason for constantly being disappointed with life? How Am I going to find a solution? So who is going through those steps of eradicating their identification with their body? Even if people do come to this realization that I'm not happy with life, they fall back into the same trap of saying, oh, well, it must be because of my job and it must be because I'm in this bad relationship or I need to improve my finances. I need to do this or do that. And while those things are very important to do and those things are great because if we don't solve the external problems, our attention is always going to be there. If you don't have enough food to feed yourself, your family, you're never going to start self-inquiring. So these things are important. If you don't have clothes or money or a job, you've got to do all these things. And remember that this spiritual tradition of the Guru is not the one that runs away from the world. 
the Guru has created such an amazing spiritual tradition, which is for everyone, the common person, go to work, go to school, carry on with your family duties, do all the things that the ordinary person does, but do it with a different perception, do it with a mindset that is so unique. So the Guru is saying that it's so rare to find these people out of all the millions of beings that lives and beings that you've created, how rare is that person who comes and falls at the Guru's feet, comes to embrace the Guru and says, I found you, you are the one, you are the solution. And remember that every single person has Amrit within them. Every single person has this potential that can be unlocked but how rare are those who gain the opportunity to actually begin that process? And so when we understand this, we begin to question, well, how do we decide who gets picked? How do we know whether we are lucky enough to understand this, to gain this, to receive this experience of life? Who gets to find this mystery that's been called the oneness? the Amrit, the immortality. And when you understand it like that, you realize there is no answer to this. This is why the Guru has said it's grace. It's just a blessing. You just have to be ready to receive. Some people call this the game of life. We even heard in the last verse a very similar line being, being said to this one. And we heard, Ji Janth Sab Khel Tera. Lives and beings are all your play. How can anyone describe this? It's so important that we don't get stuck within what our mind constantly tries to do, which is always to try and pick out holes in this idea and say, well, see, I don't have to do anything. It doesn't make any sense. This, this philosophy doesn't make any sense. And because the mind is always trying to protect itself and, and says, don't, don't go, don't listen to this. One of the things I, I think is so interesting about the mind is that your mind tries to convince you that it's your best friend. Your mind, your personality, the you that you think you are is so in love with itself, it's so intoxicated with itself that anything that comes to challenge the very sense of you itself, the you straight away puts up a barrier that says, I'm not going to do this. Don't listen to this. We don't need to do this. We're fine. Our life's okay. We're fine going through the, the, the traumas of ups and downs of life. It's okay. Sometimes we're happy, sometimes we're sad. And so if your mind is doing that, which it will, which is natural, you need to not fight that. You need to just understand this is what the mind does and hear the flavor of the words of the Guru. See if there is something that is being transmitted with what the Guru is saying to you right now that feels even truer. Is there something that you're hearing in these words of such, of Nam, of Amrit? Is there something in these words that says, you know what, I'm going to see this through. There's something that sounds right here. There's something that sounds like this Guru has an answer that I haven't heard anywhere else. This Guru seems to be talking about the deepest part of my soul. I want to know if this Guru has, has really got the answer. So Guru is saying, yes, your immortality is available to you. And it doesn't mean that you're going to go to heaven and live forever. No, there is an immortal part of you that is nothing to do with your name, your personality, your opinions, your thoughts, your memories, your body. It's nothing to do with that. There's something, the true you, the such, 
that has always been true. The timeless part of you is what you need to now allow the Guru to bring out. So in this path, one of the most important things is to never judge yourself, never judge the other on how well this path is going. You can question yourself as to whether you are fully committing, but never beat yourself up. This isn't working. This isn't working. I'm not doing well enough. I need to wake up even earlier in the morning or I need to do this or I need to stop eating that or doing this. You need to let go. This is the path of letting go because even that I need to do this and I need to do that becomes something external that binds you to your temporary identity. You are convinced that if you just do lots of different things, if you practice different things, that you will somehow taste the immortal juice, the sweetness of life that the Guru is talking about. And the Guru is saying, you cannot taste it. The only way that this sweetness can come out is if you get out of the way. And the way to think about it is almost as though there's a, a river that's flowing inside you, a fountain of amrit, of this sweetness of life. And your sense of self is this huge thing that's plugging it, that's blocking it in the way. Now, if the plug is saying that I want to taste this amrit, you can't. If you just move out of the way, the fountain will become bigger. The river will be allowed to flow. The sweetness, which is already there, will start to flow and come out. And we need to understand what is it that is stopping us. Don't fall back into your temporary identity. This is what the Guru is saying. Don't at any point fall back into the idea that I am me and I need to achieve. And the Guru clarifies this even further in the next line. Lab lob ankar chuka satguru palapaya. Cravings, hoarding, and identifying is lifted when the true Guru is pleased. When the Guru has done the work of constantly reminding your mind, telling your mind, this is how it works, this is what you need to do, this is what you are attached to, these are the things that are in the way. When the Guru starts to constantly remind you of these things, certain parts of you will begin to drop off. And the three parts that the Guru has identified here in this line is lab, lob, and ahankar. I'm going to take lab, lob first. Lab is cravings for pleasure. Lob is hoarding, is holding on to things, possessing. And it is this mentality of always wanting more. We already heard a little bit about desires and certainly desire is a theme that's going to continue on throughout the, the, the future verses of an unsigned. And the easiest way that I want you to think about desire, because sometimes when we use these words, it becomes complicated and we don't know how to use them in our day-to-day -day life. The Guru is saying, every time you think about wanting, and I simplify the word desire to just the idea, I want. Whenever you say, I want, what are you doing? Firstly, there is an I. So you cement the sense of self. There is a me and there is a desire. As long as the me gets what it desires, the me will be okay. And the Guru is saying, I and want are your biggest barriers. The I want, the desire, because think about this. 
What are you saying when you say I want? When you say I want, what you're really saying is I am not happy right now. There's a part of me that's not happy and if I get what I want, if I manage to achieve this and bring it into my life, then I'll be happy. But the thing to reflect on is when you say I want, what you're really saying is I am not happy. So it's a complete opposite to what you think you're doing. You think that by wanting things and getting things, you're making yourself more happy. But all you're doing is replaying the idea of not being happy. Does that make sense? By saying, I want, you're saying, I'm not happy. I'm not fulfilled. And so from a state of being not fulfilled, you think that you're going to fulfill that. But every time in your life, that you have received something you haven't dealt with the I want. And so you've received something in your life, it's given you temporary happiness and then that happiness has faded and then the I want comes back. Guru is saying, if you carry on listening to the words of the Shabbat, the Guru's message, it will begin to erode the idea of the I and the desire of the I, the I want, this love lobe. And the Guru is saying one thing more is also picked up, is chuka, is lifted from you, and that is ahankar. Now, ahankar is probably one of the mis most misunderstood words within the Sikh tradition, and it's because we've oversimplified it to this idea of self-importance or pride, and people say, don't be a hankari person, don't be a person who is boastful or really thinking of themselves as more important or better than anyone else. And that's how we use the word hankar in, in, in modern day Indian, North Indian languages. But the word ahankar is actually a far deeper spiritual word. Ahang means the I am. Kar means the continuation of I am. So the word ahankar is the I am maker. There is a part of your mind that is constantly making statements, I am. I am this, I am that, I am hungry, I am a parent, I am a father, I am a mother, I am a child, I am a doctor, I am a fan of this sports team and I am a vegetarian or I am this and I am that. And the Guru is saying that I am is your biggest issue and what the Guru is doing is saying I am directly targeting your I amness. The Guru is saying, my words are like an arrow that are shooting and destroying and breaking up your greed, but the I am that has the greed. So I and want your desires and the one who has the desires, the I am maker. As long as you have these things in your life, the Amrit can't be found. As long as you continue to engage with desires, and self-identification, that I am me, as long as that continues, that Amrit is still remaining plugged. That juice, that nectar, that sweetness of your life that you are looking for is being blocked by the one that is looking for it. You are blocking your own nectar. You are blocking your own eternity. Your own immortality is being blocked by you. And so the Guru is saying, you need to practice getting out of this. 
The Guru is saying, I'm going to keep showing you your, your I amness, but now you need to start catching yourself. And so what the practice needs to be is what I call non-personal attribution. Don't label anything as me, mine or myself. Don't label anything in your life as belonging to me or mine. Now that doesn't mean you don't use the words me or mine. It means that your mind begins to now identify not with any of these things, but begins to realize there is nothing that is here that belongs to a fictitious character called me. Let me say that again. There is nothing here that belongs to a fictitious character called me. There's lots of things here. The body is here. Thoughts are here. My friends and family are here. My job, my possessions and everything in life is here. But the me is a fiction. And once you begin to understand the me, this idea, this concept that I am here, this starts to fade away, then the Amrit begins to flow. So you need to practice and you need to catch yourself every time you believe that something is me or mine or myself. And Guru is saying, Nanak, Jisnu aap tutha, tid Amrit gurte paya. This is how the Guru begins to smile on you. Says Nanak, whoever is pleased by the oneness, whoever the oneness is pleased by, obtains nectar from the Guru. The Guru is smiling on you. The Guru is showing you that this wisdom is the way that I'm showing my love towards the world, showing my love towards you. The Guru has so much love to give every single man, woman and child because the Guru is saying, I had that awakening and I now have the ability to awaken you. So this wisdom, if it penetrates into our mind, it will show us how to let go of ourselves and how to taste the sweetness of life. Answer these questions by either writing down the answers or discussing them with others. Would you want to live forever? Do you believe it is possible for people to experience internal Amrit? What do you understand by the idea of Guru's grace? Are there examples in your life where the I amness has been helpful or unhelpful? Hi, this is Sapal Singh. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you're enjoying our podcast. If you'd like to help us create more spiritual content, then head over to our website, nanaknam.org forward slash donate, and think about setting up a regular monthly donation. We're a 100% non-profit organization, so all your donations go directly into the charity and help us to create and share Gurmat spiritual wisdom. With your support, we're taking Gurmat global.